Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 205 entitled, And Found. This is the 29th overall episode and there are 92 to go. First, I just want to take a moment to say I'm recording this on uh, 9-11-2011. It's actually the same day that the episode will be uh, uh, released to iTunes and the website and all that. And perhaps it's trite, perhaps not, I don't know. I figured I'd just take a moment to just, uh, you know, take note of the fact that it is the the 10th anniversary of 9-11 and, um, you know, try and, uh, you know, maybe... Look at some sort of connection uh, between how 9-11 has informed Lost. I mean, again, perhaps it's something that's um, terribly uh, trite. So if it is, I apologize. You could skip forward a minute or two. Um, I mean, to me, if we're going to find any message from the show relating to 9-11, or I think, I mean, obviously the show is informed by it in terms of the, the chaos of the plane crash at the beginning of the first episode. And... Um, you know, it, here we are looking back 10 years later, uh, certainly no no pun intended, uh, but, you know, here we are looking back 10 years later, uh, if we're going to glean any kind of meaning from the show uh, on this day, I, I think that we'd have to look to the series finale and, and the themes expressed there uh, in terms of uh, caring for your for your fellow human beings, uh, being open-minded to uh, towards new people. I mean, if you think of how... Uh, you know, how uh, disdainful, let's say, we were towards Shannon in the first couple episodes, how um, oh, how the show walked this line between um, uh, suspicion of Saeed, not that they were presenting him in a suspicious manner, but uh, certainly Sawyer was suspicious of him and, and, and trying to make a connection between, uh, you know, seeing an Arab man on a plane and then a, then a disaster happening. Um, particularly, you know, since the, the, that crash is set in 2004, as we're watching it in 2004, uh, three years after the attacks, I think, um, you know, the, the, the best of us would not have shared Sawyer's view, but probably most of us, uh, when getting on a plane would, would have, uh, you know, and, and seeing, uh, you know, if we saw Saeed or, or, or whatnot, getting on a plane, there'd be kind of an initial reaction that you try and well with logic and that sort of thing so on this day uh i mean obviously there's there's much more uh, important things and there's there's more uh there's better places to be getting your your kind of 9-11 um retrospect but since we are uh since this is a lost podcast and since i am recording it on uh, on this 10th anniversary and since it will be releasing on the 10th anniversary um again just to i can't help but find myself thinking about you know those thoughts in the that that the end of the finale brought about in terms of uh, oh giving everyone their fair shake and and looking at each person individually and uh, having an open heart towards uh, friends and friends yet to be so that is uh, that's what's on my mind this morning as I as I uh, kind of 
leave the real world, so to speak, in order to focus on this podcast for an hour or so. At any rate, moving, moving on back to the uh, regularly scheduled programming, so to speak, let's get to a bit of feedback. Uh, first of all, if you have, if you've sent me an email in the last couple of weeks, uh, I, I do apologize that I haven't gotten back to you sooner. Uh, in in the real world, I'm a teacher, and uh, so kind of end of summer fun mixed with uh, setting up the classroom and, get, and and the start of the school year and that sort of thing has uh, has uh, unfortunately taken me away from uh, the podcast as much as I would like. That's part of the reason why uh, I'm recording the same day that an episode releases, which I have not done in ages, if at all. So uh, <laughs> I will be very quickly doing the next episode, I hope, unless some sort of uh, something takes me away from the computer. But anyhow, certainly please keep uh, sending in your emails to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. Keep saying hello on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost and all that. Uh, keep leaving feedback on the voicemail line. I'll, I'll make it up to you. I'm going to be doing a whole slurry of email later today. Anyhow, let's get on to some feedback nonetheless. I received a very nice email from Tim in Bentonville, Arkansas, who uh, had this to say. He said, I discovered your podcast through the Lost Podcasting Network, and I'm loving your take on the series. I've been wanting to rewatch the series ever since it ended. Now your podcast has inspired me to do so. Thanks for the great insight. So thank you very much, Tim, uh, for your very kind words indeed. Uh, it's always appreciated, even though uh, I've been a bit lax in responding to Tim. He'll get his... Uh, Get his email back hopefully later today. Uh, also, Rowdy Reverend on Twitter. Great name. Uh, he said about a week ago, just started at 000, which I think was my uh, my little teaser preview uh, episode, if you want to call it that, that was about a minute long. Uh, he went on to say, great show, man. The best I've heard so far. So thank you very, very much, Rowdy Reverend. And... Now, one more uh, little apology here. As you know, I've, I've put out a call to people who are interested in reading the uh, the Wikipedia summaries to the episodes. And Danielle in the Netherlands had uh, responded a while ago, and it took me forever to send the text to her. And then she pretty quickly got back to me. And uh, it was only today, as I was getting ready to record this, again, this episode you know, needs to go online tonight, uh, that I realized that there was some sort of... Uh, issue with the file she sent me or some sort of corruption or whatever so Danielle in the Netherlands I deeply apologize that you uh, you read the uh, the summary but it, it hasn't made it uh, on the podcast today and uh, certainly uh, well hopefully it doesn't happen again so I will be reading the episode summary today as we start to uh, truly turn our attention towards the episode proper and uh, here is the episode summary for 205 and found in flashbacks Sun is in South Korea and on a date with Jay Lee, who is wealthy, educated, and charming. Meanwhile, Jin is preparing for an important job interview at a hotel. His roommate tells him that Jin will soon find love, adding cryptically that its color will be orange. Jin's interviewer, Mr. Kim, berates Jin as a bumpkin villager who stinks of fish, but then hires him as a doorman anyway, with a stern warning that Jin is not to open the door to anyone like himself. Sun and Jay continue to hit it off, and the pair schedule a meeting at the hotel where Jin is working and which Jay's family owns. Sun heads for the entrance of the hotel, but Jin fails to see her because he is bowing as he opens the door for her. Inside, Jay suddenly reveals that he plans to marry a woman he met in America and has been seeing Sun only to placate his parents. 
Although she is obviously disappointed, Sun wishes him well and leaves. A poor father with a young boy approaches the hotel and asks Jin for permission to enter so the boy could use the bathroom. Jin lets the pair inside. Mr. Kim observes this and yells at Jin, again insulting his background. Jin quits on the spot. Later, wandering along a bridge, Jin passes a woman in an orange dress. Looking back, no pun intended, he shakes his head in amusement and turns around. He collides directly with Sun, thus meeting his future wife for the first time. On the island, at the beach, Sun has discovered that she has lost her wedding ring. Later, when Sun is angrily tearing apart her garden, Locke arrives. Sun states that she does not remember ever seeing him angry. Locke laughs and replies that he used to be angry often. Sun asks him why he no longer becomes angry, and he replies that he is not lost anymore. When Kate tries to comfort her, Sun reveals that the message bottle has been recovered and tells her that she has buried it. Upon digging up the bottle, Kate becomes upset and frantically attempts to read all of the messages. Sun stops her and says that the messages are private. Kate then glances at the sand and tells Sun to look down. Sun finds her wedding ring lying in the sand. Meanwhile, Jin, Michael, Sawyer, and the survivors of the tail section decide to trek back to the safer side of the island. Michael, however, abruptly leaves to look for Walt. Jin and Echo set off after Michael while the remaining survivors head to the other side of the island. As they track Michael, Jin encounters a charging wild boar and rolls down a hill. When he lands and sees the body of another survivor with a weapon still stuck in his chest, Echo informs Jin that the man's name was Goodwin. Jin then says others, and Echo nods. Meanwhile, Echo senses someone coming. As he and Jin hide, they see a profession of people go by in silence. The others are seen only from the thighs down, all barefoot, all muddy, and the last is carrying a brown teddy bear in a cord. Later, the two find Michael. Echo successfully convinces him to go back, saying that the others will not be found unless they want to be. And with that episode summary out of the way, let's now move, finally, to my thoughts about the episode. I have to say, coming off of all the emotions of last week's episode, and the revelation of Bernard being alive and all that, there's a soft opening to, the, to this episode. Blue-green water, blue skies, great Giacchino music. See, I'm still saying Giacchino properly, Mr. Giacchino. And a quick uh, hook to get us in the flashback that Sun has lost her wedding ring. Uh, the flashback has some rather, quote-unquote, reaffirming advice from, some, from Sun's mom, <laughs> saying that she was gold, Then, after four years of college, she's silver, and shouldn't she get married before she turns bronze? Thanks, Mom. That's such, such great, you know, uh, reaffirming, beautiful wisdom. Uh, there is also, of course, uh, the, a bit of a fake-out, and it's a fake-out that I think that the, the Wikipedia summary doesn't, doesn't quite capture, but... It's just, uh, it's doing just the facts. But the show is presenting a bit of a fake out in that we see both Sun and Jin getting ready for uh, a date. And I use the word date kind of uh, liberally here, you know, kind of getting ready for an appointment of some sort. Um, Both kind of with love on their mind. Uh, It's just not, you know, the fake out is that they are not getting ready for a date with each other. Uh, Indeed, Jin's date is a a date, quote unquote, with a... job interviewer, um, which is meant for us to think, albeit briefly, I suspect, of the job that he had with Son's father. Um, and and then, you know, of course, it kind of uh, 
the chronology starts to become clear as it's uh, you know as there's no connection yet to sun um because of course careful memory will uh remind us that he didn't work for the father uh son's father that is until after the two were engaged the flashback ends with Jin saying if love calls tell it to wait isn't that kind of Sun and Jin in a nutshell, though? I, I love that line. They're constantly interrupted. They're interrupted by her corrupting father. They're interrupted by the raft. They're interrupted by the freighter. They're interrupted by Sun getting off the island. They're interrupted by Jin going back in time. And then they're interrupted uh, by the sub at the end of their, at the end of their story on this, on this planet, in this life, so to speak. Um, Anyhow, no, it's just, I, you know, there are times that these Sun and Jin episodes, they're always good. They're always heartfelt. They're always interesting. They time them at such interesting times, though, right? I mean, you come off of last week's episode, uh, the just that, you know, that beautiful Bernard reveal, learning more about the tail section people, which are so, so interesting at this point in the show. Um all these different things going on and then they just kind of stop the show for a beautiful romance uh about the two characters and as i'll go on to say it's not particularly a strong sun on island episode i'll be talking in a bit you know i'll, I'll, I'll be noting a number of examples where she basically doesn't do anything on the island in this episode she's a she's a i think i the wording I use is she's a lens through which other characters can be shown. It's time, you know, here she is kind of upset and Locke comes to visit and, uh, and Kate comes to visit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's not to say it's a bad episode. It's a beautiful episode. It's a wonderful episode. Uh, and certainly whatever uh, deficiencies that there are with um, the sun on island portion it's uh, tempered by the, the very tense and uh, dynamic uh, Taily story that's unfolding. You know, we're slowly kind of getting aware of Sawyer getting sicker. Uh, just, you know, wonderful Anna Lucia scenes. Uh, Echo telling Anna Lucia no so he can go help out Jin and Michael disappears. You know, so there's lots going on there. Certainly you can make the argument. So let's have kind of quiet, reflective time with Sun. And let's have action, action, action with the Taileys and the Rafties. Um, but uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is these Sun and Jin stories would show up at frustrating times when you're initially watching, when you're only getting an episode a week, when you're, you know, kind of this second season, which is so wonderful, probably my favorite. Certainly, you know, on my memory of the initial watching, it was my favorite. And um, there's just time and time again where you're saying, Come on, let's get going to the good stuff. Let's get back to that hatch. Let's get to the tail section people. Let's find out, you know, who's who shot the gun and this and that the other. And they have the dramatic wherewithal uh, to, and the, 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 the tension wherewithal, just say, no, we're going to tell a lovely story of, of, of romance. Um, and that's something that goes on with Sun and Jin till the end of their story. This kind of, yeah, as I was saying, kind of this, this constant interruption of the love that they truly have. Anyhow, the uh, the teaser act ends with Anna Lucia uh, oh, barking orders. I couldn't read my, my notes there. Barking orders and darned if she doesn't say that they're going to go back to where Sawyer, Jin, and Michael are from. Well, that's a great way to end the act. 
you know, it's just, ta-da, we're going to meet. The two sides are going to meet. We return after the act break to Anna Lucia splitting everyone up for food and water duty. Uh, Michael asks her to explain what's going on. But of course, she dismisses it with sarcasm. I mean, easy explanations on Lost, never so early in an episode. Doesn't Michael know that they've just come back from the first commercial break? And, you know, sure, Anna Lucia could say, in the time it's going to take me to say it, she could say, uh, there were some people already on the island. We were attacked repeatedly. We had one in our midst that we could not trust. Therefore, you will go with... uh, with Libby, and this one will go with that one, da-da-da-da-da, come back in an hour's time. How long did that take me? 15 seconds, 20 seconds, but Michael, don't you know, we're only, you know, eight or ten minutes into the episode. You don't ask those questions now. You ask them at the end of the episode. Anyhow, back on the beach, uh, there's a wonderful bit of characterization from Jack. Uh, The story of when he lost his wedding ring ends with his wife not finding out because he had a replica made, right? He, I don't remember the, the specifics, but, you know, he loses his wedding ring in the, uh, I think, you know, he just loses it, period. He doesn't know where he lost it, right? Because then he would have gone there and found it. But he tells this story of, you know, going through all the drawers and ripping open garbage. And son says, uh, so what did your wife say? And he says, I had a replica made. She never knew. To me, that story ends with a tacit reminder, not only that he isn't married anymore, but why he isn't married anymore, right? It's just, I mean, again, maybe I'm reading into it a bit too much. And certainly uh, I can I can sympathize with his situation where you wouldn't want to shamefacedly say you lost your wedding ring. But, I mean, what does it say? You know, you look at, so let's kind of get literary here, right? The wedding ring, clearly, symbol of marriage and the marriage bond and uh, the love behind a marriage and the connection and the, the, the finding your soulmate and the true connection from one person to another, right? So when you lose that ring, right, what does it symbolize? That you've lost that connection, uh, perhaps, right? Or sometimes a cigar is just a cigar and you lose a piece of jewelry, you know. But in Jack's case, here he's lost this symbol of trust and connection and love. Uh, and what does he do? He goes out and he shells out, you know, couple hundred bucks, maybe a thousand bucks, I don't know, but you know, certainly no uh, no great sum of money relative to all that it symbolizes, right? You can't put a price on love. Um, but Jack, I don't know, I'll pick a number. Jack uh, goes out and spends $500 for a replica ring, a thousand dollars for a replica ring, and uh, you know, thus buys a new symbol. You know, he worked hard in developing that relationship and Worked hard in the marriage, and you know, day in and day out, I will take the trash out, and you will, you will, uh, I don't know, put the trash bag back in, and this sort of thing. And uh, he just buys a new symbol of all of that. So to me, I certainly connect the two. Anyhow, enough uh, musings on marriage, I suppose. With the tailies back in the episode, the show is in high gear. Anna Lucia and Bernard are clearly struggling. Uh, no, this is when they're out. Uh, doing some fishing, Anna Lucia, are st- uh, they're struggling while Jin throws bits of urchin in the water. Uh, Anna Lucia berates him for just sitting around, right? Because they're, I think they're trying to, f- are they, do they, do they have a net? They might, but certainly it's, they're not having much success. 
Um, then here we have Anna Lucia berating Jin for sitting around. But then Jin throws his net to where the urchin bits are, and he pulls in three big, lovely fish, right? He stares at her and then just gives her kind of the FU line of fish. It's just, it's great. And I mean, you know, I love Anna Lucia so much for so many different reasons. Some of them connected to how hot she is. Others just connected that she's a strong and independent woman, which is wonderful as well. But um, she so often is set up kind of as the foil for other people. I mean, my goodness, certainly at the end of her, of next week's episode, <laughs> she's set up to be the accidental bad guy. And, you know, here there's a bit of that as well. Fish. Um, coincidentally, quote unquote, Jin saying fish, of course, perfectly propels us to the flashback where he's about to get the, an even bigger FU for being a fisherman, for smelling of fish, and for being low class. He puts up with the general manager's disrespect and gets the job. Then he's told, do not open the door for people like you. Um, I mean, it's this moment, too. It's shocking to see him or anyone take that, right? I think m many of us would just say, you know what? I don't need this ten dollar an hour job that much, and uh, even though you know he does, and certainly many people do need their jobs, you know, at what point do you say, you know, you're valuing me as a lesser human being, um, and uh, you know, I'll find some other job opening hotel doors, you know. Anyhow, he puts up with it, and it's extra shocking that it's him putting up with it, particularly knowing the mafioso bad guy that he's going to become, right? I mean, he'll li he literally will have blood on his hands. Uh, you know, ah, if only he met the general manager well, well, in those days. Anyhow, uh, there's more maddening vagaries back, uh, but here we are back uh, in, in the tail section, you know, taily part of the story. There's more maddening vagaries coming from Libby having trust issues and avoiding the inland area because that's where they come from uh this second season really is great as i've said but it's extremely drawn out with some of these shorter term mysteries that said i cannot wait to get to the other 48 days uh, which is just just one of my favorite episodes and by the way for all the tension that gets built up and for all these maddening vagaries which occur uh leading up to that episode I mean, all of a sudden you're now met with an episode that is fast-forwarding forward, right? I mean, we've never had, I mean, you know, we've had episodes which feel like they um, reveal themselves almost in real time. I mean, it's not quite, but it's that kind of TV, um, that TV uh, myth of, you know, bit by bit, you know, this kind of thing. The other 48 days, I mean, you're literally going, choop, 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 and you do 48 days in 45 minutes. Um, so something to look forward to, uh, the scene where Libby returns with the info that Michael has up and left, it's standard enough. She's panic and Lucia orders everyone to get moving. Sawyer questions them on behalf of the audience and Jin explains that Michael has gone to get Walt, giving an ending point for the act of note though, is who Michael effects first in the scene, Libby, then Anna Lucia. It's a nice bit of shaping since he'll usher out uh, you know usher them towards the exit the big exit their deaths in that order as well michael will affect libby and then affect anna lucia uh when he kills them after the commercial break uh i guess they had the notion that steel sharpens steel 
uh, because Jin wants to find Michael and then ultimately get some help from Echo. So that was uh, that was Jin punching Echo and then Echo headbutting Jin back, uh, which reminds me a bit. Uh, there was uh, a similar back and forth between Charlie and uh, Sawyer. Um, oh, middle third of uh, of the first season. Um, it's not a, this is not a clip heavy podcast today, and that's not because uh, you know I'm I'm doing it you know rather rather. Uh, late or whatever um it's because with all the korean and it, it doesn't make a whole lot to uh a whole lot to capture from that story and then uh you know when we talk a bit about uh the the you know son losing her wedding ring that's not perhaps the most engaging story um and then uh the tail section stuff you know it's good and that's where a couple of clips do come from but uh, with Jin's involvement in it, he's not saying too much. Echo is not particularly talky. Uh, and Lucia isn't offering much in terms of, um, you know, it's kind of the same attitude, which, which I certainly don't uh, fault the show for. But, uh, you know, it's kind of more the same from her. Um, and then, you know, the perhaps the best scene in the entire episode, which is when the others creep by uh, uh, Echo and Jin, that, that's without dialogue as well. So Korean... Uh, non-English, little English, and uh, no dialogue at all is kind of uh, the theme for this episode. But anyhow, with this scene where Jin um, uh, punches Echo and Echo headbutts Jin, I think there's a touch in there of why Echo is so beloved. He's thoughtful but direct. Uh, and certainly seeing him in that scene throw off Anna Lucia's leadership is great fun. You know, she's saying, hey, Michael left. We got to go now. And he says, no, I'm going to go help Jin find his friend. Um, and we kind of get a get a sense of the the cracks in their, uh, oh, co-leadership or she's the number one, he's the number two. But there's, you know, a bit of a bit of a crack in that. Unfortunately, at that point, we then return to this rather boring story of Sun's lost ring. I know, I know, I get it. The ring is a symbol of love for her husband and the flashbacks about how their love started and so forth. It's just that it's not a terribly engaging story. No pun intended. I did get a laugh, though, when Hurley and Son are talking. Hurley asks Son if Soul is in the good Korea or the bad one. She politely stares at him for a moment before saying the good one. I wonder if the character is thinking in her head, you know, what the English word for, you know, F star 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 E-R is. Um, I mean, there's, there's just a little amusing moment of American ignorance, you know, is soul from the good Korea or the bad Korea. Here's a tip for you. Probably they wouldn't have been, you know, outside the country if they were from North Korea. Anyhow, um, it, there's a nice acting touch in Sun's flashbacks. Um, and it's that she looks so trapped and dejected at the, the first breakfast, breakfast with Jay Lee, who's also, of course, known as the Korean Mr. Clean. Um, this is a breakfast where I believe both mothers, his mother and her mother, are there. Um, and in her acting, she has lots of downward stares and avoiding looks. Uh, this is, of course, contrasted by the son that we've gotten to know on the island. Independent, speaks her mind, resourceful, uh, you know, this sort of thing. 
I mean, a little bit less so in this episode, of course, since she's not doing tons of, uh, not doing tons of independent things. But anyhow, anyhow, back to the most interesting story in the episode: Jin and Echo. Jin takes a wrong turn and ends up finding a body. His name was Goodwin. For whatever weaknesses this episode might have in the sun department, um, it just does a great job of really uh, having you anticipate what the others are all about. Um, you know, the the fear that the tailies feel for reasons yet unexplained uh, is is palpable. We're slowly starting to understand why it's setting up the other 48 days, which... Uh, you know, what, what a wise decision to kind of introduce this new bunch of characters, have them hang around for six, seven, eight episodes, then tell their story. Uh, you know, in a certain sense, that's lost in a nutshell. But, uh, um, and I mean, not to wax eloquent about that episode since we're not there yet, but I mean, what a notion of taking the flashback device to a point where uh, all the characters that you care most about, right, the people you've, who you've been with since uh, episode one of the first season, we're not really going to have any of those in this episode, the other 48 days. You know, we're going to do the entire episode in flashback with new characters. Um, I wonder what that discussion was like at ABC. But anyhow, back to uh, back to this episode. Um, it's a nice touch, too, you know, uh, that, that Jay Lee studied medieval Russian literature, but has ended up in hotel management. Uh, it certainly speaks to the trappings of... Uh, of family uh, structure, and it's something that affects both Sun and Jay Lee. More with uh, Sun on on Island now. Uh, in previous episodes, I've talked about the different tiers of characters and, and how sometimes the Suns and Shannons and Claires of the world, they'll kind of sit around and talk about traditionally female things. They'll talk about their concerns about husbands and children and that sort of thing. This episode fits into that kind of definition as well. Jin is off discovering dead others and looking for lost friends. And Sun is crying about a lost ring and ripping up her garden. Uh, she's, as I said before, she's almost a lens for other characters to be focused by. Uh, the earlier funny Hurley conversation, that's just an excuse for Hurley to be, you know, to react to her and to, to say Hurley things. Locke in the garden telling her wisely how he used to be angry, but now he isn't. How lost things are found when you have the peace to stop looking for them. That's just a Locke moment. That's an excuse for Locke to share some stuff. It's, it's, it's a bit tedious. Because they're not really sharing anything new, right? It's just, it's Hurley being silly. It's Locke being wise. I mean, you know, these are the things that we've come to expect. Um, and there's not really, you know, Hurley's talking to to son, but he, I mean, they're not really having a conversation. It's a Hurley monologue. You know, Locke isn't really uh, giving son wisdom. It's, he's, you know, monologuing to us, the audience. Anyhow, in the flashback, Jay and Jin cross paths as Jay comes to the hotel for another date with son. Uh, Jay shows Jin true kindness, calling him Mr. Kwan, and he does so with a smile on his face. Ah, irony. Jin will eventually be told to kill Jay, which Jin doesn't do, uh, and Jay will commit suicide over Sun, which indeed he does after a long fall and a quick stop. 
Quick production note too, and this is a, a positive production note. In that scene with Jin opening and closing the glass door at the hotel, when you watch the episode at full speed without pausing, and I didn't go back and do pausing, but if you watch it at full speed, you cannot see a camera crew in the glass. It's tremendously well done. Towards the end of the scene, the camera moves in such a way to certainly to avoid that. I mean, wisely so, but it really is a well done scene where they're they're not fooling around. They know they have reflective glass and they're gonna they're gonna avoid it. So anyhow, back to Sun. Perhaps I'm grumpy with Sun today. I don't know. The sun isn't out here as I record it. Maybe that's you know, that sun and this sun perhaps are crossing paths in my subconscious. But in the next scene, Sun and Jay at lunch, it feels very paint by numbers. Sun was adjusting her makeup before he arrived. Message received. She's emotionally invested in him. When he talks to her about wanting to see each other more, no pressure from parents because he reveals he's in love with an American woman and will leave in six months to marry her. Uh, Sun is shocked but hardly shows it uh, because, of course, she's acting prim and proper. Uh, it, It feels paint by numbers because, you know, we can predict on first viewing that with the island story being about love, the flashback will end up being about Jin and Sun in love eventually. You know, eventually at some point in the flashback or, you know, two-thirds of the way through the flashback, though. You know, we're not even though. Here we are at this scene, Sun kind of upset, Sun leaving the the, the lunch table. Uh, and here we are two-thirds of the way through the flashback storyline. Check. Sun is free and available for Jin. So as I say, paint by numbers. Back to the Jin and Echo story. As I said before, I wish there was dialogue to share from the next scene, but it's all just visuals. Uh, Echo gets fearful, first shushing Jin and then clapping a hand over Jin's mouth to silence him. Then there's a hard cut to foliage, right? Normally, uh, normally you would show, um, you know, Jin, uh, Jin. Normally, you might show Echo pointing and the two of them getting into the brush, but instead, it's just. Hand over the mouth. Silence. Hard cut to foliage. Which, as the camera moves, it reveals Echo and Jin hiding deep in the brush. We get that point of view shot of five or six dirty feet walking by, and the last person is holding a teddy bear by a string. I'd say when I first watched the episode, I thought that it was a teddy bear with a string around its neck, and it kind of read as some sort of bait. Uh, Or perhaps somebody being masochistic to the teddy bear, I don't know. Seeing it now, though, it looked more like um, uh, the string was around the bear's torso. And I wondered if perhaps it was a child walking through. Perhaps it was a child. Perhaps it was a, uh, a woman of slight frame. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's the two children, right, from the tail section, uh, one of which is connected to the teddy bear. I think it's the boy. I apologize for not remembering their names. I mean, they are ultimately minor characters um i i would have a hard time believing that they are out traipsing through the jungle um having been kind of inculcated into the other's way um even at this point you know 47 48 days after the crash um but anyhow regardless it's an extremely creepy scene i mean it's one of Aside from scenes with the whispers, it's perhaps one of the one of the scariest scenes um, in terms of its drawn out tension. But anyhow, back to the flashback. 
Uh, Jin is bowing so low at the door that he cannot see the extra who walks in, as well as the person behind the extra, or not behind, but he's bowing to open the door for the extra, and he also can't see Sun who storms out. Then there's another paint-by-numbers moment, because of course, earlier in the episode, he was told not to let his kind in, and who appears? The Almost the caricature of what the general manager was talking about. A short, sweaty, poorly dressed, dirty father with a cute but vaguely dirty son who needs to use the bathroom. To the point that the Jin says, you could, you could wait until using the public restroom a, a block that way, right? And the kid, you know, no, as he does the pee-pee dance. So Jin lets them in, gets yelled at by the manager, and then he quits. Uh, back on the island, Sun's predicament gives Kate a chance to show up in the episode while Sun remains largely upset. Um, telegraphing, perhaps the worst kept secret in a single episode, uh, Sun tells Kate that the raft bottle was found and punctuates the end of the scene by saying, I buried it. So, hmm, for those of you playing at home, what do you use when you're digging in the sand? That's right, your hands. And when you bury things in the sand at night while upset, what could you lose? Could it be your ring? Hmm. Again, this ring business, it's a bit too overly constructed, right? It's made clearly to be the thing that is the problem for the episode that at the end of the episode gets found, right? Yeah. On the other side of the island, though, let's move on to that. Jane and Echo find Michael. And Echo reminds Michael that he has no idea what the others are capable, are capable of. It's just yet another itch planted by the show to be scratched by the other 48 days. And, uh, of course, the scene just ends with Giacchino's soaring, beautiful, wonderful score. go back to Kate and Son, who've dug up the bottle. Can I see it? And there's some rather trite business about how Kate didn't say goodbye to Sawyer. Kate loves Sawyer when he isn't around. Uh, Kate loves Jack when he's unavailable. Sigh. At least it ends with uh, Son finding the ring, which does draw to a close that particular MacGuffin of a storyline. If you don't know what a MacGuffin is, it's uh, a plot piece, or a plot device where uh, a physical thing uh, is given value by uh, by others, but it doesn't necessarily have any huge value. And that's not to say that the you know her engagement ring or wedding ring is valueless, but you know certainly on the island, you know it doesn't have any huge value. It's not um, you know a giant uh, you know can of um, food or something, but um, you know it's something that everybody. You know, all the characters who talk to Sun, they talk to Sun because of this 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 wedding ring, which is, you know, largely inconsequential. Not to, well, you know, inconsequential to their survival and this sort of thing. But anyhow, there's another nice acting touch, uh, or at least what I think is an acting touch. Sun has a little trouble getting the ring on, perhaps due to sand on her fingers. Uh, maybe it was a real thing, actors putting on their props, you know, or after actors who put on their props in an air-conditioned trailer, and then the after a day of filming in the heat, you have slightly swelled fingers. 
or, or as I say, perhaps it's the sand, but it works nicely within the show. She needs her husband to put that ring on her finger, perhaps on a, on a psychological level. Uh, the flashback story starts to wrap up, too, with recently jobless Jin going for a walk. Uh, and, of course, we know they're in Korea because there's a banner hanging from a bridge in Korean. Uh, it's odd, too, how the camera operator is choosing to shoot uh, without us seeing anything past the bridge as the camera is pointed rather low. No pesky Honolulu landmarks in this Korean flashback, by the way. But anyhow, Jin sees a woman in an orange dress walks by and checks her out. Uh, he perhaps is remembering that love was predicted to be orange. I mean, I am, in fact, he does remember it because then he smirks and continues walking right into sun. It's an effective, heartfelt touch as they stare at each other uh, at the very start of things, right? Um, it's a wise decision, too, to cut back to Sun on the beach, happy with her ring, kind of you know, happy with tears in her eyes, which did, after all, turn out to be a symbol of, of their love for all my uh, earlier pessimism. The final shot of the show uh, is a reverse of seeing Kate and Sun. Uh, this time, it's Kate and Sun looking out over the ocean. The sun is setting, giving the sky an orange tint, a reminder that love is, after all, orange. And with that, the episode, of course, is over, but the podcast is not. Let me share with you a few things that uh, Dan Mulderlock from Twitter had to say uh, about this episode. Actually, uh, oh, 45 or so minutes ago, I put out the call on Twitter and I said, help anybody who's, you know, any listeners, if you want to share any comments about this episode, now's the time to do it. So he was, uh, well, game enough. And uh, here's what he had to say. Dan says, I remember the first time I watched and found how pointless I thought the wedding ring storyline was. It really made me roll my eyes. The only good part of that would be Hugo's idea that Vincent ate the ring. However, in the flashbacks, I thought they did the introduction of Sun and Jin really well, even though it was pretty standard and felt like cheesy TV stuff. I remember that it really resonated with me, and when they met at the end, uh, I believed it. Uh, he says, I would chalk that up to good acting by Daniel and Yunjin. They really pulled off that scene. Also, the way they filmed the other's feet moving through the jun- jungle, kind of using some stop-motion style filming speed, was really effective and super creepy. And Giacchino scored the episode well. He helped augment my, real- my reactions to the scenes. Uh, and he says uh, that he enjoyed the episode. <laughs> and he says, thanks, man. I gave you a little, he says, something I'll say crap about uh, Giacchino. After listening to every Keys to Lost podcast, I've known it well. Uh, anyhow, I think Dan raises definitely some wonderful points there. Um, yeah, you know, on paper, the Jin and Son storyline, it is kind of standard and it is kind of cheesy TV stuff, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels presented uh, you know, uh, in, in such a way that it feels fresh, it feels new, it feels believable. Um, and I think he's right. But, you know, most of that is uh, is Daniel Day Kim and Yun Jin Kim. It's just they're acting. It's that they're pulling it off. They fully believe these characters. It, to them, it's not cheesy. To them, it's, you know, their lot in life to be a, a doorman or to be a, you know, kind of passed along as a future bride. Um 
And then there's this moment at the end of the episode where these two characters uh, have a breath of fresh air and kind of see, um, feel some sort of spark and see some kind of way out of their current lots in life or whatever. It's uh, it's really pulled off nicely. And of course, Giacchino's score is always uh, lovely indeed. So thank you very much, Dan, for, uh, for the assist there, um, sharing some info about 205 and found on the fly. Let's now take a look at some of the things that uh, are on Lostpedia for this episode. It notes that this is the first episode of the season, not to use the hatch, uh, which I, you know, is uh, fair enough. I mean, as, as wildly interesting as the hatch is, um, you know, you, you need to let these things breathe. You need to, uh, every single episode can't be about the hatch. Every single episode can't be answers. So fair enough. Um, again, my only kind of minor complaint is it seems that they stick heartfelt, lovey-dovey, Sun and Jin episodes, which are wonderful, but they tend to stick them right after uh, the, the tension in a season. You know, so, you know, the Hatch and the Tail section and Bernard, and then now we're going to do kind of, you know, Sun and Jin in love. But anyhow, uh, another bit from Lostpedia. There's a lengthy entry on Lostpedia about this annoying bit about Sun's age based on his resume and how uh, sir, uh, apparently in Korea uh, you are, you are for example, when you're born, you're considered one. And on your, uh, you know, on, on the first anniversary of your birth is when you're considered two. So does that explain it? But then the date says this. And it, I mean, ultimately it's just a, you look at Jin's resume for the briefest of moments. It's not meant to be some giant clue towards the answer of everything uh, in Lost. Um, his age is wrong or something. These things are made by prop people. You know, Lindelof and Cuse wouldn't sit down and, you know, handcraft Korean resumes. You know, it's like some of the stuff is like, you know, come on, guys. Is this really what you're, you know, what you're getting all upset about in 2005? But anyhow, let's now look ahead next week next week's episode is 206 abandoned with one of the great great shocking endings um you know the 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 surprising death of shannon i mean off the top of my head i mean there's that ending there's uh what there's the end of season three where you realize you know they're off island there are flash forwards uh and even the end of season five when the bomb explodes it's not really, I mean, it's shocking, but in a certain sense, it's kind of, um, you know, you could predict it has come to this, or or the bomb exploding isn't quite the shock. You know, kind of what happens afterwards is a bit more of a shock, but so this certainly is up there for next week's episode 206, Abandoned, which I'll probably be recording in a few minutes. Anyhow, reminder, a couple of reminders that new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Mondays. Sometimes it creeps towards Sunday night, but certainly you can hop out of bed Monday morning and and download the latest episode of Looking Back at Lost uh, as you're brushing your teeth. Uh, If you'd like to share any feedback, there's bunches of ways to do it. You can call the voice message line, leave a message there at 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter. I'm looking back lost. You can send an email to looking back at lost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage, looking back at lost.podbean.com. 
And of course, you can find the show on iTunes where reviews are always appreciated. So thank you very, very much for listening. And uh, I will see you all again next week for episode 206, Abandoned. Take care and bye-bye.